Chapter fourteen of Gossip in the First Decade of Victoria's Reign by John Ashton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen Lord Cardigan and the Black Bottle Case, Lord Cardigan's Duel with Lieutenant Tuckett, Steam to India, Nelson Column, Mormonism, The Boy Jones, Napoleon's Body Transferred to France about this time the earl of cardigan made himself particularly conspicuous before the public and the commencement of it was the famous black bottle question and i well remember that that useful utensil was for many years called a cardigan my lord was colonel of the eleventh hussars prince albert's own and it so happened that on the eighteenth may eighteen forty when the inspecting officer dined with the mess captain reynolds of ours ordered at mess a bottle of moselle which instead of being decanted was served in its original envelope a proceeding which gave offence to the aristocratic taste of the colonel and according to a statement which was published in many newspapers the following morning captain jones delivered the following message to captain reynolds the colonel has desired me as president of the mess committee to tell you that you were wrong in having a black bottle placed on the table at a great dinner like last night as the mess should be conducted like a gentleman's table and not like a tavern or pot-house or words to that effect captain reynolds received the message with astonishment but without remark and subsequently waited on the earl of cardigan and complained of it but received no satisfactory answer a short time afterwards captain reynolds met captain jones in the mess-room and in the presence of two officers said to him captain jones i wish to speak to you about the message you brought me this morning in the first place i do not think you were justified in giving it at all as a brother captain having no possible control over me it would have been better taste if you had declined to deliver it he replied i received it from the commanding officer and as such i gave it and if you refuse to receive it from me i shall report it captain reynolds replied do not misunderstand me captain jones i have received and do receive it but the message was an offensive one and i tell you once for all that in future i will not allow you or any man to bring me offensive messages captain jones said if i am ordered to give a message i will give it captain reynolds said well you may do as you please but if you bring me improper messages you must take the consequences captain jones replied he would certainly do so and left the room the two captains who were present one not an officer of the regiment proved that captain reynolds manner was quiet and inoffensive captain jones reported the conversation and soon afterwards captain reynolds was summoned to the orderly room where in presence of major jenkins the adjutant and captain jones lord cardigan thus addressed captain reynolds in no very agreeable tone or manner if you cannot behave quietly sir why don't you leave the regiment this is just the way with you indian officers you think you know everything but i tell you sir that you neither know your duty nor discipline oh yes you do know your duty i believe but you have no idea whatever of discipline and do not at all justify my recommendation captain reynolds remained silent when lord cardigan added well i put you in arrest captain jones then offered captain reynolds his hand upon which captain reynolds turning towards him said no captain jones i will not shake hands with you 
nothing has passed which renders it necessary i have no quarrel with you and i deny having insulted you and see no reason why i should shake hands with you or the contrary lord cardigan said but i say you have insulted captain jones captain reynolds quietly replied i have not my lord upon which lord cardigan said well i put you under arrest and shall report the matter to the horse guards captain reynolds said i am sorry for it and retired the matter was reported to the horse guards after captain reynolds had been in close arrest three days lord hill sent a memorandum recommending captain reynolds to acknowledge the impropriety of his conduct towards lord cardigan and to declare his readiness to resume friendly intercourse with captain jones this recommendation captain reynolds obeyed but he still refused to shake hands with captain jones which would seem to imply a previous quarrel or to drink wine with him within any specified time on the ninth of june general slay went to canterbury had all the officers of the regiment brought before him and without any investigation read to them a letter from headquarters condemning captain reynolds conduct in very strong language approving of that of lord cardigan throughout in every particular stigmatizing captain reynolds motives as pernicious and vindictive and refusing a court-martial because many things would be brought to light which would not be for the good of the service captain reynolds then requested that he might be brought to a court-martial for the offences for which he had now been charged this was also refused as it was stated lord hill had determined it would be considered as settled and as if this was not enough general slay told captain reynolds that he had forfeited the sympathy of every officer of rank in the service captain reynolds applied for copies of all letters referred to in this statement which are not given at length and was refused them he still kept in the regiment which perhaps was unwise on his part as the sequel shows early in september an evening party was given by the earl of cardigan to which as usual several officers of the regiment were invited in the course of the evening a young lady casually observed aloud that she did not see captain reynolds here the earl of cardigan who happened to be near heard the remark and replied oh no he is not one of my visitors the words were uttered without any marked expression and did not at the time attract particular attention they were however carried to captain reynolds who conceiving that the expression was calculated to affect him as a gentleman wrote a letter to the earl of cardigan to know if the expression had been used and in what sense this letter remained unanswered and the consequence was that captain reynolds stung with this apparently further slight was induced to send a second and a stronger letter couched in terms which could bear no other interpretation than that of a challenge on receiving this letter the earl of cardigan consulted with his friends and after fairly considering the matter it was determined to submit the letters with the whole of the circumstances connected with the case to the consideration of the colonel of the regiment prince albert the prince on receiving the papers laid them before the commander-in-chief lord hill for his opinion thereon when it was resolved by the latter to let the matter come fairly before the public in the shape of a court-martial which was shortly afterwards held at brighton 
this court confined itself chiefly to the consideration of the second letter written by captain reynolds which they conceived to be couched in a spirit so insubordinate ungentlemanly and insolent as to afford the writer no sort of excuse or palliation for his conduct on the alleged grounds of previous provocation on the part of his commanding officer and they adjudged that captain reynolds should be cashiered october twenty it certainly was not from a wish not to fight a duel that lord cardigan thus acted with regard to captain reynolds and no one who remembers his heading the charge of the light brigade at balaclava can question his courage for he challenged and fought with lieutenant tuckett on twelfth september a duel which was thus reported in the papers in consequence of the earl of cardigan having ascertained that certain letters published recently in the morning chronicle reflecting as his lordship supposed on his character as an officer and a gentleman were written by lieutenant tuckett late of the same regiment eleventh hussars the noble lord sent him through captain douglas of the eleventh a challenge which was at once accepted and captain wainwright half pay was the friend selected by mr tuckett to arrange the preliminaries an apology was demanded by the noble lord to which the reply was that if he would deny the allegations contained in the letter referred to it should be given lord cardigan declared that certain portions of those letters were true but that the greater part were calumnies on this the apology was refused and a meeting was the consequence it took place on the afternoon of the twelfth september on wimbledon common the first shot was ineffectual on both sides but on the second fire mr tuckett received his adversary's ball in the back part of the lower ribs which traversed round to the spine the ball was extracted and mr tuckett after a time recovered subsequently warrants were issued and lord cardigan and his second were brought before the bench of surrey magistrates at wandsworth and after several examinations lord cardigan was committed for trial on the charge of shooting at captain h tuckett with a pistol with intent to murder or do him some bodily harm and his second for aiding and abetting him the charge was laid under an act to amend the laws relating to offences against the person one vic c eighty five s three which makes the offence set forth in the charge a felony punishable at the discretion of the court with transportation beyond the seas for the term of his or her natural life or for any term not less than fifteen years or to be imprisoned for any term not exceeding three years he was tried in the house of lords on sixteen february eighteen forty one by his peers and the case against him broke down through a technicality his counsel sir william follett pointed out that the prosecution had failed in proving a material part of their case inasmuch as no evidence had been given that captain harvey garnet phipps tuckett was the person alleged to have been on wimbledon common on the twelfth september last and whose card only bore the name of captain harvey tuckett the peers present returned a verdict of not guilty with the exception of the duke of cleveland who added not guilty legally the use of steam at sea was beginning to assert itself it was only two years since that i had to chronicle the voyages of the sirius and the great western across the atlantic now we have the first steamship to india sailing on twenty five september she was called the india and was twelve hundred tons 
and nearly four hundred horsepower she sailed for calcutta calling at the cape of good hope where she was to stop five days it was expected that she would complete her voyage including stoppages within seventy-five days on thirty september the foundation stone of the nelson column in trafalgar square was laid without ceremony it was a large block of dartmoor granite weighing fourteen tons and on sixteen october the tenders for building the new royal exchange were settled they varied very considerably and the contract was given to the lowest that of messrs webb of clerkenwell whose tender was two thousand pounds under the architect's estimate about this time we began to hear of mormonism in england not that it was absolutely new for on twenty july eighteen thirty seven heber c kimball orson hyde willard richards joseph fielding and others landed at liverpool on the first mission sent out by the mormons three days after landing they began preaching at preston and met with such remarkable success that within the next eight months at the expiration of which time kimball and hyde returned to america they had converted and baptized about two thousand people but the sect was uncommon as we may see from the following extract from the leeds times copied into the times of thirty one october a new sect one of the most recent developments of fanaticism is the appearance of a new sect in different parts of england entitled latter-day saints we believe that it made its first appearance in hertfordshire and leicestershire from which counties great numbers of its members have lately emigrated to the united states the sect has extended to lancashire and yorkshire and by the labours of its preachers is now travelling northward into durham and northumberland the latter-day saints assume to do many extraordinary things among other accomplishments peculiar to those who believe in the new doctrines they are declared to possess the power of casting out devils or curing the sick by laying hands on them of resisting the operation of the deadliest poisons of speaking with new tongues and of working miracles of various kinds they state that no ministers now on earth preach the gospel but themselves and that only to them have the supernatural gifts of the church been vouchsafed the kingdom of god they say is only open to those who have been baptized by immersion in addition to the bible they state they are in possession of another work of equal authority entitled the book of mormon the original of which was found engraved on brass plates in the central land of america finally they consider this is the last generation of mankind and that they have been sent into the world expressly to prepare the way for the son of man has my reader forgotten the boy jones he turns up again in this chronicle for on wednesday the second of december the inmates of buckingham palace were shortly after midnight aroused by an alarm being given that a stranger had been discovered under the sofa in her majesty's dressing-room and the officers of the household were quickly on the alert it was soon ascertained that the alarm was not without foundation and the daring intruder was immediately secured and safely handed over to the tender mercies of the police the report of the occurrence spread very rapidly and created the most lively interest in london as it was feared that the consequent alarm might be attended with the most dangerous effects to the health of the queen who had been confined only eleven days previously 
happily neither mother nor child suffered in any way the facts as far as can be gathered the examination being a private one conducted by the privy council seem to have been as follows shortly after midnight one of her majesty's pages accompanied by other domestics of the royal household was summoned into her majesty's dressing-room which adjoined the bedchamber in which her majesty's accouchement had taken place by mrs lilly the nurse who thought she heard a noise a strict search was made and under the sofa on which her majesty had been sitting only about two hours previously they discovered a dirty ill-looking fellow who was immediately dragged from his hiding-place and given into custody the prisoner was searched but nothing of a dangerous nature was found upon him and the police at once recognized their captive as the edward jones who had two years previously entered the palace in such a mysterious way he is described as being very short for his age seventeen and of a most repulsive appearance but he was apparently unconscious of this defect as he affected an air of great consequence and repeatedly requested the police to address him in a becoming manner also behaving with the greatest nonchalance at his examination before the privy council the next day his first version of the matter was this on monday night the thirtieth of november he scaled the wall of buckingham palace about half-way up constitution hill he then proceeded to the palace and gained an entry through one of the windows he had not however been long there when he considered it unsafe for him to stay as so many people were moving about and he left by the same manner as he entered the next day tuesday about nine o'clock in the evening he again effected an entrance by the same means as before he then went on to state that he remained in the palace the whole of tuesday night all wednesday and up to one o'clock on thursday morning when the inquisitive youth was captured he was not satisfied with this dull and prosaic account of his entry but on the following day he tried to invent something marvellous and alleged that he ascended the roof of the palace and got down the chimney but there were no marks of soot on his person and his first story was doubtless the correct one the greatest mystery attending the affair was how he could have found his way to the room adjoining that in which her majesty slept without being observed the delinquent stated that during the day he secreted himself under different beds and in cupboards until at length he gained an entrance into the dressing-room he moreover alleged that he sat upon the throne that he saw the queen and heard the princess royal cry but his story was such a romance that no reliance could be placed upon it he was extremely reticent as to the cause of his intrusion into the palace the only explanation which he vouchsafed on being arrested was that he wanted to see what was going on in the palace that he might write about it and if discovered he should be as well off as oxford who fared better in bedlam than he jones did out of it even the stern discipline of the treadmill to which he was promptly consigned failed to extract anything more out of him his only remark when interrogated being that he had got into the scrape and must do the best he could his father stated that in his belief his unfortunate son was not of sound mind but the medical evidence went to show that though his head was of a most peculiar formation he was not insane the council therefore came to the decision that it would be better to inflict summary punishment and he was committed to the house of correction for three months as a rogue and vagabond 
if he is to be believed he fared remarkably well whilst in his royal residence as he said he helped himself to soup and other eatables from a room which he called the cook's kitchen but no dependence whatever could be placed on his word prince albert was taking leave of her majesty for the night when the miscreant was discovered and the prince hearing a noise proceeding from the adjoining apartment opened the door and ascertained the cause but it was not made known to the queen till the following day so as to prevent any undue alarm on her part it is needless to say that this event excited the greatest interest and engrossed public attention nothing else being talked of the punishment was considered far too light to deter a repetition of the offence which opinion was subsequently justified such an occurrence of course was considered fair material for the humorists of the day to exercise their wit upon and there are many allusions to it in the age and satirist of the period but as their remarks are not always conceived in the best taste they are better left in the obscurity in which they now dwell perhaps however this little couplet from the satirist may be accepted now he in chains and in the prison garb is mourning the crime that couples jones with darby's footnote darby's are handcuffs End note. it was jones's extraordinary powers of finding an entrance into the palace that caused samuel rogers to declare that he must be a descendant of the illustrious in i go on the fifteenth december the remains of the emperor napoleon which had been removed from st helena were laid with great pomp into the tomb prepared for them at the invalide paris and contrary to all expectations there was no disturbance on the occasion End of chapter fourteen